and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's January 19th, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Housebarbie, and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. Austin, how are you doing? Ah, going well. You know, uh, nice warm weather here in Texas in January. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds like the opposite of what I've got right now. But yeah, <laughs> take the wind. At least the markets are green. That is, yes, that is true. What a weird feeling. I don't mm-hmm. think my coin gecko has shown me anything that's other than the color red for what feels <laughs> like over a year now. Uh, I almost <laughs> thought it was a glitch. I was going to get onto the support team. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bizarre feeling. Yeah. I do wonder if it's just a you know dead cat bouncing off the mm. pavement. Uh, but I guess we'll find out. You know what's so so wild, Matt? We were talking about this a little bit in last week's episode um, about how Goldman Sachs and you know traditional banking were sort of facing turbulence. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I just heard that uh, institutional sales in Goldman Sachs are now facing layoffs as well. It's a rumor, but it's mm. interesting to see uh, you know sort of the contagion of this. Of course, I'm sure that you know bailouts will happen. And everybody will be just fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. The balance, the order will be restored. Well, I saw um, yes. <clears throat> some of the earning reports have not been great. Was it JP Morgan or was it Goldman Sachs that massively missed? I think it was Goldman Sachs, right? And then uh, I saw Morgan Stanley were down year over year, like, over 40 percent yet they beat expectations right it's like you know Mm -hmm. that's kind of the state of the i think the that market right now i think it's interesting you know we had what was it yesterday the um the numbers come out for u.s retail spending much lower than predicted it's like 1.1 percent decline versus an expectation of like 0.9 or 0.8 percent but then PPI came in better than expected. So it's been bouncing around. But I think one thing that's definitely been uh, playing a bigger role and why we're seeing us what looks like the beginnings of a bit of a pullback today and maybe the end of trading yesterday is Japan uh, reinforcing and reinstating, should I say, their yield curve controls. So that's kind of throwing things into a little bit of bit of chaos. Um Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you also saw like just this mass exodus from Japan from a load of uh, the yeah. centralized crypto exchanges, Coinbase, Kraken, yeah. like a bunch of others. They're all moving out of Japan. Um, I'm not actually fully clued up on the story behind that, but I, I just saw the headlines around it. Yeah, no, I thought that was interesting as well. Um, I don't know if we we talked about that much last week, uh, Coinbase's exit from Japan. But yeah, it's, it is it is interesting to see all of these players moving at once. I know that, I think kind of the general consensus is that uh, Japan and their central bank monetary policy has been among sort of the most questionable and reckless and thus most exposed. So yeah. uh, there is a lot of perceived risk there. And the thought is that, you know, it's sort of the first few cracks in the dam if they were going to be shown anywhere they would appear in japan uh and then that would spell bad for the the u.s and the eu etc 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 yeah well why don't we jump into kind of one of our first stories of the day because we're going to be 
talking a little bit about one of the uh, one of the bright spots of the most recent mini bull run, let's say, that's been happening since the start of the year. So let's jump into that story right now. LSD, liquid staking derivatives. Unfortunately, we're not all both on drugs doing this episode today, <laughs> uh, but we are talking LSDs. And <clears throat> they are or have been on a real tear since the end of December, especially start of uh, January. I-, I mentioned this very briefly at the end of last week's episode in the wrap up. But the tokens of projects that are offering uh, liquid staking derivatives, um, they they have just continued on an upward trajectory. We got Lido, their governance token, up 73% in the past 14 days. FS, FXS from Frax up 100% over two weeks. Rocket Pool's RPL token up 50%. Anchor's token 70, uh, 47%. And Stakewise's token uh, up a slightly more modest 15%, but still all massively outperforming the market. Um, it's It's been an exciting space to watch develop. And it's also a very confusing space to get your head around. So what I thought I'd do is give a very brief overview of what a liquid staking derivative is, and then talk about like the reasons why we're seeing some pumps here and... Um, talking a little bit around the different options of ways people are getting exposure to this and what you might want to be looking out for. So let's talk about what what uh, liquid staking is in, in general and what these tokens are. So <clears throat> with the introduction of proof of stake on the Ethereum blockchain that we saw last year with the merge, the network is now secured through validator nodes. And unlike in proof of work, where miners compete to solve arbitrary puzzles like in Bitcoin, uh, with the highest spec machines always winning the battle, proof of stake validators stake their tokens that they can lose, known as slashing, if they operate as bad actors. We dug into this in like the mega episode we did on the merge, so feel free to go and dig into that um, from like the middle of last year. But the important thing here is like <clears throat> to run a validator node on ETH, you have to stake a minimum of 32 ETH. That's around about 50K right now, USD. So to, in, to incentivize good behavior and staking as a whole, validators are paid rewards, just like how Bitcoin miners are, just through a different me- uh, mechanism. As of right now, these rewards, they've been accruing. Um, and they, they have been pre-merge because the beacon chain was up and running where you could be staking on validators in the meantime. All of these validators have been accruing rewards, but they've been unable to withdraw them. So this will change once the Ethereum Shanghai update is rolled out, which is due in March 2023. So in a couple of months' time, this is a huge moment for all of those staking on ETH and for ETH in general. I think the confidence in the team's ability to roll out the update is is pretty high, considering they did a much more technically challenging uh, transition with the merge. So um, liquid staking tokens, LSD tokens, they were created to basically lower the barriers to entry for staking on Ethereum. Um, So no longer needing those 32 ETH uh, minimums. 
and removing the technical complexity of running a validator node um, and also giving people liquidity in the meantime versus locking up all of their funds. So this is this is how this works. <clears throat> I'll use Lido as the example because they're by far and away the market leader and the general principles, while the, the, the slight nuances change from platform to platform, all apply. So they're the market leader of liquid staking on Ethereum. You deposit your ETH with no minimum into Lido. <clears throat> Lido then uses that ETH to power their own and stake in their own validator nodes that they run and they earn rewards in the process. They give you a cut of those rewards and take their own cut alongside this. I think generally like the market rate for this is around about 10% um, in fees that you end up kind of uh, paying to Lido. And that kind of nets out that the yield that you get in terms of like an APR on staking your ETH is around about 5% through Lido. Now the, the yield differs from protocol to protocol, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that in, in, in a moment. When you deposit your ETH, you will receive an equivalent value of staked ETH, or STETH. Uh, this is Lido staked ETH tokens, uh, which, which you can trade at any time. Um, you can also just buy these on the open market. This gives you the best of both worlds. You get instant liquidity with a yield, um, and you can kind of immediately cash out, but your ETH is being put to work. And I think in like high inflationary environments, that's important. Uh, this is what an LSD token is. So we know what an LSD token is. Why are these protocols seeing such growth right now? Well, when the Shanghai upgrade goes live, all of these protocols can claim their rewards, which means they'll be able to let users redeem their LSD tokens one-to-one -one for ETH. The underlying risk of maybe never being able to redeem your, your actual ETH again, will go to practically zero. So it's just going to bring a flood of new stakers into the market. And what's interesting is liquid staking is present across loads of different blockchains. Uh, Solana is liquid staking. Uh, I mean, pretty much every chain has some level of liquid staking on it. And like, if you take a chain like... Uh, God, it's killing me that this is the only example that comes to head. Uh, but like Cardano, right? I think something like 70% uh, of all of their tokens are staked. In ETH, it's closer to like 10 to 15%. So there's a huge amount of growth there. And I think the attention is going to shift uh, post uh, Shanghai update from what it is probably been to date, which is which is the most secure and likely to be around when ETH rewards unlock, to which LSD gives me the highest yield. And this is where I think things start to get interesting and why so many new players are eating up Lido's market share. So here's, here's, a, here's an overview of the current kind of market share from decentralized protocols. Um, I'll share out the June dashboard on, on Twitter shortly as well. But <clears throat> um, this doesn't include things like uh, Coinbase on there. They have CBETH, but I I'm not kind of counting that in this uh, bucket. Uh, Lido has 29%, which is down massively from where it was even just like a few months ago. Uh, Rocket Pool, 2.2%. Stakewise, 0.45%. Frax, 0.32%. Um, and Lido has 4.67 million ETH staked. 4.67 million ETH. That's a massive amount. Um, yeah. 
Coinbase actually has a million ETH staked, uh, which is also a huge, huge amount. So they're earning serious yield there. The the next big competitor really is is Rocket Pool. I think also Kraken, a centralized exchange, has an, has a lot of ETH staked as well. But Rocket Pool have uh, three hundred and fifty thousand, and one of the big growing kind of protocols in the ETH, the staked ETH share, is uh, Frax with fifty one thousand um, staked ETH. It's a lot. It's a lot in there. So, as a holder of ETH right now, what are your options for liquid staking? And what's kind of the current APR on on each of these? So you've got Lido, which is around 5.1% APR right now. This changes, but ballpark around there. Rocket Pool, 4.44%. Stakewise comes in slightly higher at 5.9%. Coinbase is offering one of the lowest at around 4.15%, but by far and away the highest is Frax, 6.74% APR. And I think what we're going to see post-Shanghai update is a big push and a battle between these protocols to offer nice juicy yield on this stake teeth to... Um, incentivize users to to lock up their ETH with them because the margins on this are pretty wonderful for any liquid staking uh, protocol. And actually, when like you think about like the risk side of things, it's on the much much lower end of of the risk scale on D De- um, in DeFi, the the protocol that's getting the most attention right now is Frax, and I am and have been for a long time a big fan of Frax. I'll just give a bit of a disclaimer that I do hold a bunch of FXS and other Frax-related tokens, among others, like ETH and stuff. I just want to make that clear. But this is by no means a promotion of, of this. It's it's going, it's growing really fast. I think in like the past week, they added something like 10 million in staked ETH, or maybe in the past two weeks, to uh, to their protocol. Huge amount. Um, but they're, offer, they're, they're able to offer the greatest yield of any protocol in the LSD space. And the reason why this is, is that they are the single largest holder of, uh, of CVX, convex token. So locked CRV basically through Curve, meaning that they control the flow of convex bribes, which if you're not very familiar with this, is like convex is a protocol built on top of Curve. Curve offers an enormous amount of rewards in the form of CRV and convex largely dictates through a governance layer where those rewards go. Well, what Frax are able to do because they hold such strong power in dictating the flow of where these go is they can direct them into holders of uh, FRX ETH, Frax ETH, which is their liquid staking derivative token. Um, so while they pay out like the, the regular rewards that they get from validators, uh, which would probably give them about a 5% APR that they can pass on to the stakers. They also give them this additional yield by offering CBX tokens on top of this uh, to bring that APR up to closer to the 7% mark. So I expect Frax to be a big winner in this. Definitely not like saying financial advice here. There's a lot that can go on, but I think it's one to, to keep a close eye on. I think it's going to I think it's going to create a huge wave of interest in DeFi um, that that I'm really excited about, actually, uh, post post Shanghai, just to see, because I think these are very good protocols that are building very important infrastructure.
Yeah, I have to agree. I think that the the lowering of the barrier to entry and the growth that we're seeing from this is really interesting and promising and somewhat related. I saw on uh, some data from Beacon Scan that the number of ETH validators has recently hit a half million. Um, yeah. And these are like these are validators that we're talking about where you need that initial minimum investment of 32 ETH or roughly $50,000 at the at the current prices. Obviously, uh, LSDs are, are playing a role in this, but mm-hmm. that is a lot of validators gearing up for the uh, Shanghai update, presumably in uh, March. So good to see that happening as well. Yeah, and that further decentralizes the network, reduces risk, the greater distribution of validators, the lower the risk, the more security. So it's a really good self-fulfilling uh, cycle. What's going to be very interesting to see is what happens post-unlocked. I think there's two different ways that you yeah. can kind of look at this, and this is all going to be speculation, so there's the caveat. One would look at this and say, there's going to be a massive unlock of ETH rewards and they're going to get dumped on the market as people look for liquidity and drive ETH price down. The other way to look at this and what's an important data point is that a large percentage and ah, damn, I wish I'd have like uh, found this chart out. I I was looking at it the other day, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say something like 70%, I think, or maybe 60% of all of the ETH that staked in validator nodes right now is out of the money. So like it's uh, technically running on a loss in value from the time it was staked to now, ETH has gone down in price. Um, so there's less of an incentive to sell um, because uh, at this point. Uh, so I think there's at least one thing. I do think that in isolation, it's going to put more sell pressure on ETH. However, I think the combined feeding frenzy of these LSD tokens could counteract that. But we'll see how it all plays out. It's what's to be sure is it's going to bring liquidity into the Ethereum blockchain, um, even if that's short-lived. And I think that's going to be much needed in the kind of current macro. All right, we'll see how that plays out. We'll keep you all updated. And of course, when we get close to the uh, Shanghai update, We'll be, we'll be covering this much, much more deeply. But let's jump into our second and very different story of the day. Let's talk about the Winklevoss twins and what they've got going on with Gemini and Genesis. So last week, we covered the open letter that Cameron Winklevoss shared to DCG, otherwise known as Digital Currency Group, and the implications that it has on Genesis and Gemini. But what we didn't really get to go into was the history behind this relationship and these businesses that they built and how they got to where they are now. And I think it's important to to better understand the, the history of these entrepreneurs and the context for how these firms were established to uh, be able to to really interpret. Now it has come out that the SEC has hit Genesis, which is a retail crypto lending platform, and Gemini, which is a crypto exchange with an earn program that has a relationship with Genesis and that it uses its lending platform to power its earn program. With Doesn't both sound confusing them, at all. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> Why did they have to be named so similar to oh, each other? It's the it's, worst. It's so, it's so painful. It's so painful. <laughs> uh, so both of these have been hit with charges of securities violations. Now we'll get into the details of what these charges allege later, but it is an important development in this story because Genesis is reportedly on the hook for more than $900 million worth of Gemini customer funds. So how did we get here? Let's take a bit of a trip down memory lane. You may recall the names Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss from a film called The Social Network, which, which dramatized the very early days of Facebook. Uh, yeah, those were the two bros. <laughs> the two bros, the rowers that Zuckerberg cut out. The from, bad guys uh, that were framed yeah. in uh, in that video. Well, history history's helped them there, hasn't it? I think. Oh my gosh, it certainly has. Yeah, they really were ra- uh, framed as sort of negative and antagonistic, entitled characters that actually were, you know, maybe a little dense and were just in the right place at the right time to be sort of like these privileged guys at Harvard in proximity of this genius Zuckerberg. Um, and, you know, made it seem like they didn't really bring anything to the table. Turns out that's not true. <laughs> they actually are pretty sharp um, and capable. Uh, but yeah, Zuckerberg cut them out in the early days and then they sued in 2008 and they received a like roughly $65 million cash and Facebook stock settlement uh, back in 2008. It was thought at the time that that was kind of going to be the end of the story of the Winklevoss twins. Uh, They got their payout and then they would be gone because of of this sort of persona that had been built around them, uh, you know, sort of making them out to, to be these sort of dense and incapable people. But in 2012, they established a family office called Winklevoss Capital, and they began amassing large amounts of Bitcoin. Now, I, just like take a moment to think about this, okay? This was 2012. Um, that was very early days for Bitcoin, right? I mean, certainly, I think I, I I may have held some Bitcoin at the time from like Reddit tips or something like that, but it wasn't anything that I was investing no. in. I don't know about you, Matt. No, um, not in not yeah. 20, 2012, no. Yeah, they're very, very early on the scene, and they're making big bets on this. In fact, by November of 2013, they were believed to have owned around 1% of the total circulating supply of Bitcoin. This later led to an investment round in BitInstant, which was an early Bitcoin exchange, uh, and that, that didn't really work out very well because its founder was later imprisoned in relation to Silk Road. But I think that it's uh, that Charlie, an indication. Was that Charlie Shrem that was the instant? I'm trying to remember. Yes, that's yeah. that's correct. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, like early moves indicating that, that they had a very, uh, you know, emerging sense of where the opportunity was going to be in Bitcoin and where they wanted to position themselves. So even though BitInstant didn't work out, they kept forging ahead. They actually attempted to launch the first ever Bitcoin ETF or exchange traded fund, which was rejected Mm -hmm. by the SEC, but yet again, being very early on the scene here. So in 2015, they opened Gemini, 
which is that cryptocurrency exchange that we mentioned. It's licensed in New York. They grew up pretty quickly and they actually acquired an NFT marketplace called Nifty Gateway in 2019. Yet again, this was good timing because it was prior to the NFT market boom in 2021. As a result of this, the parent company, Gemini Space Station, was valued at like $7 billion in November of 2021. So there was a, Yeah. yeah, man, I mean, quite the growth, right? Back in 2017, Tyler and Cameron became known as Bitcoin billionaires. I remember actually talking about them on the podcast in 2017. Um, This all happened when Bitcoin was hitting the 20K mark. And actually, uh, an entire book was written about it. It's a good book written by Ben Mesrich. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Worth reading if you have the opportunity. Because he wrote the... The, the, I can't remember what it was called, but the one that was turned into the social network. I think Ben Mesrich wrote that book and then he wrote Bitcoin right. Billionaires off the back. I lo- I found that such an entertaining read and it was like, it was really, really great. I, I love that. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, here we're talking about them becoming Bitcoin billionaires in 2017 when Bitcoin was hitting the 20K mark. Obviously that number skyrocketed as Bitcoin hit nearly 69K in its all-time high back in 2021. Ah, oh, the good old days. <laughs> Oh, I know. Yeah. To remember November 2021. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome to 2022, guys. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, then we fast forward to 2022. Market turmoil brought problems for Gemini and Genesis as it did for everybody else. And uh, yeah, Gemini was impacted by the FTX and Alameda collapse uh, and they laid off 10% of their staff, as we discussed last week. Just a a quick additional recap on some of the stuff that we went over last week. Remember, quickly after Gemini was impacted by FTX and Alameda collapsing, Genesis announced that they'd be suspending withdrawals. And then remember, Genesis was Gemini's partner for its interest-bearing earn product. So Gemini said that it would have to freeze customer funds as a result of this. They would later cut 30% of their staff. And then in December of last year, the Financial Times reported that Genesis had some $900 million worth of customer funds from the Gemini Earn program. So there's a huge hole there waiting to be filled. Um, And then this prompted Cameron Winklevoss to pen that open letter that we went over last week, which was talking about how DCG... Uh, which owns Genesis and Grayscale Investments and a bunch of other crypto firms, was dealing with liquidity problems, that the CEO, uh, Barry Silbert, was uh, engaging in bad faith stall tactics toward finding a resolution to the disputes that were happening over the funds. Uh, It called for Silbert's resignation uh, and a bunch of other things. And of course, DCG pushed back on this publicly, said it was a, a publicity stunt and that the Winklevoss twins were responsible for this all. Two sides to every story. But what's interesting is that Gemini then announced that it ended its earn program and that this would force Genesis to pay back that $900 million worth of customer funds. So this brought an end to this two-year program. Obviously, this is a wild relationship that was existing between Gemini and Genesis, as we discussed last week. And I, I think that, you know, there was there was speculation that um, as part of these, these sort of bankruptcy proceedings and all of this crazy stuff that was happening, you know, regulatory bodies would get involved. And that is what ended up happening. Now the SEC has charged Gem- Gemini and Genesis in relation to Gemini Earn. 
They have alleged that the firms sold unregistered securities to customers. And in that process, they raised billions of dollars worth of crypto from hundreds of thousands of users. Uh, Tyler Winklevoss responded to this publicly on Twitter and questioned the timing of the charges, saying that Gemini had been in discussions with the SEC actually for 17 months and that the program was regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services. So obviously there is a lot that will continue to unfold in that story going forward as Genesis now is preparing to file for bankruptcy protection potentially as early as this week. I mean, this has been a long anticipated thing, but it looks like it's actually going to happen now. Yeah. looks like that's finally going to happen. And yeah, I think things are going to get pretty messy. I think the only, the only thing I think about from like the market side of things, it feels like this is kind of getting priced in. It feels like this is kind of almost expected by now. Um, But yeah, we'll have to, We'll have to keep tabs on where that goes. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more Twitter spats uh, that 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 populate crypto Twitter, uh, covering a lot of this. But yeah, hopefully, it's always interesting. It's 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 interesting to see the the sort of rise and turmoil, and then subsequent rise and turmoil of the Winklevoss twins. Uh, Forbes is still estimating them to be worth over a billion dollars each. So I think that this is you know ult- ultimately they're up. Um, but it will be an interesting story to follow going forward. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I if there's that, yeah, if if there's a if if there's a kind of duo that has been through the ringer of adversity and come out the other side consecutively winning, it's been these two. Um, so I wouldn't bet against them. And yeah. it looks like they consecutive uh, they've made some consecutive high conviction, mm-hmm. really powerful winning bets that go against the grain of common consensus which i just yeah i i I just have to salute people that that make those bets i don't think i i have it in me to have that level of conviction at the scale that the winklevoss twins had um it's it takes a certain character to be able to do it i think you have to be Mm -hmm. on the borders of kind of just completely out of your mind crazy uh but (laughs) Uh, but just enough sane to kind of like make it go and wow, you have to have thick skin. And it seems like those two have basically made a rubber at this point. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. We'll follow this up. We'll keep, uh, we'll keep covering it. I'm sure there's going to be a few developments that happen next week and let's jump into the wrap up. Our favorite crew are back, Austin. Three Arrows Capital. <laughs> Remember them? Oh, yes. After the meteoric <laughs> implosion that was their entire business and the subsequent crypto market, they're launching a new startup. And guess what? It's called not FTX, GTX. I, I, I honestly ah, thought... Yes. I honestly thought when this deck started circulating that this was just a one big joke. And then I realized it is a big joke, but it is real. Uh, they're trying to raise 25 million in seed funds. And I have no doubt that they will. They will definitely do this. I tweeted out the uh, the a screenshot from the deck. I think the whole deck's um, circulating crypto Twitter right now. Don't have much more to say on it, but just, wow. I mean, you know, we had that whole episode where we talked a little bit about 
the space and building people up as idols, watching them uh, turn into the villain and then all of a sudden welcoming them back with open arms. Here we go. It's round two and it's going to happen. I know it. I know for a fact it's going to happen. <laughs> but we'll, it is. Uh, uh, yeah. What do we say about that? I'll tell you what, Matt. You know, if I were an investor just sitting in a pitch presentation when that founding team slide comes up there's no oh. faces i'd rather see than have kyle davies and suzu oh. on the slide <laughs> oh my god unless they're putting up that super yacht as collateral i'm not giving them 25 million i'll tell you that. oh my gosh the super <laughs> yacht I, I know actually that was my first reaction to this i was like 25 million dollars that's yeah. not even like half of what their super yacht was like come this on is, guys that's what i think almost makes this worse it's like it I don't know what the right word for it is. It's kind of like the goal of them to come and ask for a sum of money that is like unbelievably within the realms of bootstrap territory that they should be funding. Like that they're going to investors for this is bizarre to me. And that just like is the other red flag in this. Um, not not mm -hmm. to say $25 million isn't a lot of money, but it's definitely not to them. And it's just kind of strange to me that that's actually what they're trying to raise on a seed. Uh, but, you know, the, the scam is going to keep scamming, I'm sure. And I'm sure they'll be back. In other news, let's head on over to Lancashire. Is that how I pronounce it? Lancashire. <laughs> I, how do I pronounce it, Matt? I love, I love <laughs> when, when Americans pronounce <laughs> random places, especially in the north of England. It's uh, Lancashire. Uh, or as you Lancashire. beautifully put it, <laughs> Lancashire. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's head over to Lancashire. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, there's a funny story coming out of that place. Uh, so some suspects in UK's uh, in, in some UK Bitcoin fraud had quote more money than they could spend. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Um, four people in Lancashire were sentenced on Friday for conducting a scheme worth over $24 million involving a glitch in an unnamed Australian crypto exchange. It turns out they stole around 445 uh, Bitcoin over a three-month period in 2017, which is where that $24 million valuation comes from. Um, and then this is where it gets so funny, just the, the polite Brits. So this turned out to be so much money for these people that the ringleader allegedly bought cars for people that he met in the pub. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That is incredibly British. Oh, yeah. This is, this is excellent. Tell me more. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So you just imagine like, they're like, oh, my, oh man, $24 million or, or however many pounds that is. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Meet, meet a nice bloke at the pub and buy him a car. <laughs> so oh, uh, yeah, the uh, David Wainwright, who is the detective sergeant working on uh, the case in Lancashire's uh, police uh, fraud unit, 
said that, quote, the scale of the fraud in this case is absolutely staggering and led to the suspects literally having more money than they could spend. How This, this is somehow wholesome. It, it is, isn't it? I, I'm almost yeah. rooting for them. I'm like, this I is know. so... I'm, I'm so happy for you and the people in the pub. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and then this is uh, one of the things that I got a kick out of. So it turns out that Stephen Boys, who's one of the people that was involved and was sentenced, um, during the hearings, he told the court that he used one million pounds cash stored in a suitcase Quote, to buy a villa from Russians he met in the back of an, the office of an estate agent. <laughs> like, what? How did what? that happen? Yeah. Right. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack here, right? First of all, <laughs> how did he get a million pounds in cash? From yeah. This? this is a starting point, right? And then, one, why did he, why did he decide that he would take a million pounds and just store it in a suitcase how heavy is a million pounds? How, like, yeah. And then how did it go come to pass that one, first of all, he went in the estate agent to buy a villa. Did he have the suitcase on him? Where did the Russians come from? Why? Why? <laughs> and also like, what? I, no, actually, I don't even know where to go with this. I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall during all of these like random events. Uh, the, this is wonderful. This is how I want every scam to to happen. Uh, is, is exactly <laughs> like this. More of this. Please. I know it's so true. So so often, what you hear about is uh, they you know they laundered the money and then used it to defraud more people, or yep. they bought a mansion or something. I guess in this case, he was kind of trying to buy a mansion. But kind the of. the guy you know buying cars for people in the pub i mean hey that's a bit of a twist right <laughs> you, you imagine right you know they all regroup after they've done this they've got like these like 400 plus bitcoins <clears throat> and the, these guys they're together and they're like right guys we're just gonna lay low for a little bit let's uh let's not do anything silly let's go for a couple of pints and we'll just kind of figure out game plan next like six pints later, like, who wants a car? Anybody want a car? <laughs> <laughs> they just got like you... their seed phrases out. They're like, how? Like, let's ask. <laughs> Where are the Russians? Where are the Russians? <laughs> oh, my you God. imagine like showing up to this hearing, there's like a parking lot full of silver Dacia Sanderos, and then just <laughs> yeah. like. But they've all got like Lanc- Lancashire plates on them or something like that. Like a bunch of people in the hearing, like, "Oh, I did this bloke bought me a car." <laughs> that was a, that was definitely your best accent I've ever heard you do. That, yeah. I'm gonna lock that in. I'm gonna cut that out, and we're gonna use this in future episodes if we ever need to, because uh, that was superb. All right, let's wrap things up. I got a pub in Lancashire to attend. Austin, it's been wonderful. And I will, of course, see you next week. See you, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.